Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. We've been talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is His dispensation. Each of the Godhead had a part to play in our redemption. God the Father planned it out. Jesus worked it out on the earth. And then the Holy Ghost took up the baton, came to the earth. And of course, he did his part. He's doing his part to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and so on. And then it's up to us to take up the baton and continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the works of Jesus. He said, when he left, the works I do shall you do also, and greater than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. So we're talking about different aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit since he, this is his dispensation. Look in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, and we see something very important here, written down by Paul. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Notice, Spirit's there capitalized, and it could be. But also it's important to know that the fruit of the Spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit within the spirit of man that imparts to the spirit of man the character of God. The divine nature of God in the spirit of man. So when we talk about walking in the spirit, it's our spirit bearing fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit who is within us. You see, our worst enemy is not the devil, believe it or not. Is not the world, believe it or not. Our biggest enemy is our flesh. Can you say amen to that for sure? The biggest enemy is our flesh. Our flesh has a mind of its own. You can mind the things of the flesh or mind the things of the spirit. It's up to us to make a decision as to what we're going to do. It was the flesh that caused Cain to kill Abel. It was the flesh that caused Joseph's brothers to do what? Sell him into slavery because they were jealous. It was the flesh also that caused Moses to strike the rock not once but twice. When he was told to speak to it. And once again his flesh just rose up. And then it was uh, the flesh that caused Jonah to flee from Nineveh. And then you got Samson, Solomon, David. They all gave in to the lusts of the flesh. And of course they suffered the results for doing so. Well Paul said the way that we overcome the works of the flesh is by walking in the spirit. So once again walking in the spirit is talking about this recreated spirit of ours has been given the nature of God, the, the life of God. And it's up to us to cultivate and develop that life that's in us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, carry it out or walk it out. Now, when it comes to talking about the manifestations of the Spirit, we know there are nine gifts of the Spirit. And oftentimes what we do is we leave out the nine graces of the Spirit that complement the nine gifts of the Spirit. So we want to talk about these nine graces of the Spirit. Some teach there are three Godward, three manward, and three that are usward. When you break down these nine graces of the Spirit, the three that are Godward are love, joy, and peace. The three that are manward are long suffering, gentleness, and goodness. And the three that are usward, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. And so we see three, 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 six, nine graces of the Spirit that we have on the inside of us. We're not trying to get them. We have them in there. When the Spirit of God came into us, He gave us all these characteristics of the Godhead. Okay, so we're going to break it down. And number one, the first 
manifestation of the grace of God, the grace of the Spirit is love. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, notice this. And hope makes not a shame because the love of God, notice this is God word, the love of God was shed abroad where? In our hearts, how? By the Holy Ghost which is given to us. And in reality, we could say that these manifestations, which we call fruit of the Spirit, all come out of love. They're all based on love. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so, God's love was shed abroad in our heart when we got saved. As a matter of fact, look in uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. It's the love of God that really is the acid test that determines whether or not somebody is saved. When you get saved, you've got this unconditional love for God and also for mankind. Look at 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. You know what? That's the most important thing you and I can know. We know that we've passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. That's a powerful, powerful statement. We need to love all people no matter whether or not they are lovable. He said, what are you doing if you love someone that loves you? Love your enemy, you'll be like God. Be God-like. But this love has been shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the ministry of the Holy Spirit when we got born again. So we have this unconditional, divine, agape love living on the inside of us that enables us to love God and love humanity. In the book of Ephesians, now chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded where? In love. That's our root system. Our grounding system is in love. Why? He'll be able to... That we may be able to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, the passes knowledge. Why? That we'd be filled with a little bit of God. All the fullness of God. How does one get filled with all the fullness of God? By understanding the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. To know the love of God that passes, love of Christ that passes knowledge. It rises up far above it. So we see the first fruit of the Spirit, which really all other fruits are incorporated into one, is love. It's agape, divine love. And you read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, and you see that this love endures long. This love is patient. This love is kind. This love is never envious. So we have an exposition of what this love is all about. If we want to walk in harmony with the Spirit of God who's on the inside of us, then we've got to give place to the love of God that He imparted to us when we got born again. Shed abroad is really a, 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 not the right term. Exploded in us. The love of God exploded in us when we got saved. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I saw the whole world through different eyes. I saw people through different eyes. I had an experience of God's love inside me that just transcended anything and everything that I had ever experienced before. What a love that God put in my heart for him and also for people. Okay, number two, joy is love's strength. Joy is love's strength. So these are the fruit of the Spirit. But notice, joy is love's strength. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. You know the verse. You should. If you don't, you'll know it now. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your fortified place. So joy is love's strength. Look in John 15. 
We're talking about it being God word. Where does it come from? John 15 verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you. That my joy. Whose joy is it? My joy might remain in you. And that your joy might be full. Jesus came to give us a full life. Remember he said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came to give you life and that more abundantly or life to the full. He wants us to have a life that's full of love, full of joy. It's his joy that came into us when we got saved. It's a joy that comes from the very presence and throne of God. Look also in uh, Luke, I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1. Beautiful scriptures here. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Do you love him? In whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You've got a joy in you that's inexpressible, that cannot be articulated in any kind of speech. When I got saved, the same thing. Not only was there love in me, there was a burden lifted off my soul to know that I would spend my eternity with my Father in glory. Because I longed to know that I could make heaven when I departed from this realm of life someday. And so when I got saved, the love was there. But then also this impartation of joy just rose up within me. I was ecstatic about the fact that I've got this new life. I never knew what people meant when they said, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. But you know what? The moment, praise God, I got saved, I knew exactly what they meant. I was walking around in darkness and didn't even know it. But praise God, my eyes were open. I, I, I told you this a long time ago. Before I got saved and I saw this thing come on TV like PTL, praise the Lord, or the 700 Club or something like that. And people would say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I went, oh my goodness. I'd go right through the channel as fast as I possibly could. And just, this is, these people are crazy. Because I, I didn't grow up like that. Where I went to church, you didn't do anything like that. You just sat there and they did everything and you did your part, but which was not very much. I'm telling you, when I got saved and I went through the television and that came on, I knew exactly what they meant. I began to shout, glory be to God, I know exactly what you're talking about now. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I got the love of God in me. I've got joy unspeakable, inexpressible, and full of glory. Why doesn't someone else want it? You can't even peddle it. You can't give it to somebody. They don't want it for some reason. Well, I did, praise God, and I took it. Look at Luke 6, 23 also. This joy is inexpressible, but it's also a joy that really is activated by your faith. Rejoice in the day, what day? When you've been persecuted for righteousness sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Who when they're persecuted leaps? Shouts. No one. Leap for joy. For behold your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So when they were persecuted they leaped. They leapt for joy. They would leap for joy just shouting and thanking. Remember when the apostles were persecuted for all the things that they did? It says they went their way rejoicing that they could suffer shame for the name above every name, the name of Jesus. So they were rejoicing and leaping for joy. So here we have the first three graces, you could say, of the Spirit that manifest in the life of every born-again believer. You have them, I have them. 
They're in us love, joy, and peace. Every single one of us has it. Has them all. Okay. Peace is the third one. Peace is love's security. Don't you like being secure? Who doesn't want to be secure as you sojourn through this world? There are certain things that you really want to know that you can be sure about and secure about. We all want that. Okay. Look at John's Gospel 14 verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Whose peace is it? It's God's love. It's God's joy. It's God's peace. A peace that passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds. I'll keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on me because you trust in me. In other words, we can look to him and, and have a really a good night's sleep. Rest our head upon the pillow of his promises. But look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. What a marvelous verse of scripture. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Man was not always at peace with God. Mm -mm. Man was butting heads with God. But thank God he sent his son Jesus to make provision for us to be able to one day be at peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been brought back into a relationship with him. And now we have peace and harmony with him. You have to remember something. Man was booted out of the garden. He had no way back to God. But thank God he sent Jesus to us. To fight us. To locate us. To bring us back into relationship with him. To reconcile us to the Father. And Jesus did his part to do that. Was all that was necessary to achieve that goal. And now we've got love, joy. We've got peace. Thank God. We can rest our head upon the pillow of the promises of God. Someone says, how do you know you're going to make heaven? I know that I know. Why? Because I'm not believing in myself. I'm believing in what Jesus did for me. And I know I've got perfect peace because, you know, he did it all. Number four, long-suffering is love's endurance. Love's endurance. Notice in 2 Peter. We skipped over. Look at, look at Romans 8, 5, and 6. I don't want to skip over that. That's important. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and what? Peace. What a difference between the two. In other words, wherever we set our mind. And whatever we set our mind on. To mind the things of the flesh is death. To mind the things of the spirit is life. It's also peace. So the spiritual mind, in other words, is allowed to think on the things of God. But you know there's a warfare between the two, as Paul said. There's a budding heads between the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. Oh, the mind wants to gravitate towards the things of the flesh. And if we don't get delivered from our corrupt reasoning faculties, very easily it will do so. But God says, no, you got to discipline yourself. you got to have a well-disciplined mind. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a well-disciplined mind. It takes a discipline in the mind for us to be spiritually minded. The only thing that divides between spirit and soul is the word of God. And if we allow ourselves to gravitate toward anything else, we'll be carnally minded, fleshly minded. But if we look at what the word of God says and just take it for face value, what does it say? Read what it says and just say, I accept that. 
once again, what did Jesus say? To love your enemies is nothing as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you're, to, to love your, those that love you. But to love your enemy is a whole different ballgame. Can you admit that's true? The mind of the flesh doesn't do that. The mind of the flesh wants to get even. Vengeance is mine. Not say it the Lord, it's mine. Mm-hmm. I want to give you a fist in love. You know what a fist in love is? Think about it. But you see, he says, no, don't do that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You walk in love. Renew your mind. Do it God's way. Let God fight for you and defend you. Now look at number four. Love, long-suffering is love's endurance. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we have a revelation of this. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us word not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance long suffering how long suffering he's been long suffering for 2,000 years since Jesus has been raised up from the dead that's a pretty long period of time wouldn't you say we every day in our house here Andrew I'm telling you and we get texts even from I don't think they have school all he does is text from school. That's a, how do you do all this texting from school? Are they allowed to do that? I don't know. And you know, because, especially on a, like a t today is Wednesday, but on a Tuesday and a Thursday when he has band practice after school, he, right after school he has to stay until five o'clock with his band practice. We get texts all day long. I want Jesus to come now. Isn't everything in order, Dad? Yeah, everything's in order. Couldn't he come at any time right now? Yes, he can come in time. Isn't the Feast of Trumpets right, right before the Feast of Trumpets? I said, yeah. Isn't that when he's going to come? Yeah, he better come right now because I don't want to go to band practice. <laughs> it's too long of a day for me. I'm going to go home and play my games. And then we got to start, you know, really talking him off the edge, off the wall. But he is on it. I thought everything was fulfilled. Why doesn't he come? Yeah, I know. I know he can come any day. You've been telling me that for years. He's long-suffering, son. I tell him he wants everyone to be saved. He knows when the right time is. Well, he says, and it should be now. No, he knows when the right time is for him to come. Let him be God, Andrew. You sit back and just say, thank you, Lord, for coming. Amen. But God is long-suffering. Look at, look at verse 15 in that same chapter. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Look at the motive. It's salvation. And I tell him, he wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This long-suffering, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years, one day to the Lord. So in other words, he's not waiting a very long time in his mind. Maybe ours, but not his. You see that person next to you? He wants them saved. You see that person down the street? He wants them saved. You see that co-worker? He wants them saved. And the list goes on and on and on and on. God wants everyone to be saved. And that's why he's long-suffering. Giving every opportunity for people to be saved. Why? Eternity is forever. You don't get out of the lake of fire ever. Suffering is forever. And he doesn't want that for anyone. Hell was not made for man. It was made for Satan and his angels. It was not made for man. But as we saw in scripture, it was expanded when man rebelled against God and joined forces with the devil himself. 
and it expanded. Well, there's more people, Jesus said, entering into the wrong way. And he wants them to come out and be saved. So it's important that we obviously minister. So the goal of salvation, long-suffering means that you're slow to avenge uh, those who wrong you in any way. And that's a characteristic of God that he deposits in us by his spirit. Look at number five. Gentleness is love's conduct. Gentleness could be kindness as well. But look at Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Gentleness or kindness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind, gentle with one another. Tender hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. How many of you wish that scripture wasn't in the Bible? Hmm? At least for a little bit. <laughs> for a few moments of time. You know? Forgive one another how? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What a mandate placed upon our souls. We're to forgive everyone as we've been forgiven. Wow. To love even as he loved us, not to forgive even as he has forgiven us. How do you want to be forgiven? Do you want your slate to be wiped clean? And no remembrance whatsoever? You ever hear people say, I can forgive, but I cannot forget. That's a no-no. That's a no-no. No, the Bible says that he forgave us and he has forgotten. No longer will he remember our sins. Aren't you glad his memory is short when it comes to our sin? And when it gets under the precious blood of Jesus Christ, it no longer exists. It's in a sea of forgetfulness and God doesn't fish it up. God doesn't bring it up. That's how he says to forgive other people. You say, but that seems difficult because of, you know, your contact with that person, you see the same thing happening. It's a decision, it's a choice. It is not a feeling, it's not an emotion. It's a decision, a choice that we make to release that person of their indebtedness to us and just let it go because we've been forgiven the huge debt. We forgive the small debt. That's gentle, that's being kind. Look at Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, were you? Serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful. And hating one another. But after that, the kindness or gentleness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the kind, we were all, the, as he mentioned before, the same way as other people are right now. See, when you get into the light, sometimes it's hard to remember what you were like in the darkness. You realize that. We walked dark in darkness and didn't realize what we were doing was even wrong in, some, in many cases. But we just did it. It was just commonplace for us. But he says, look, you've come by the kindness and goodness of God. Look at the next verse in Romans. And... and that, that, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. The kindness that God shows us is not just short-lived here temporally in our lives. Look at this verse. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. You know what that's saying? He's going to put on a show throughout eternity. If we think he's shown us his kindness now, Man, wait till we see this. I believe 
that verse is telling us he's going to put on a demonstration. He might put on a show. I don't know what kind of equipment he has up there. But can you imagine the kind of show he puts on? Now, I'm like this. I pray that he has us all seated in this humongous auditorium with these cushiony seats, you know. And since redemption has already been taken care of, maybe a, a Coke, you know, bag of Lay's, whatever, some popcorn, whatever. And we just kick back and we sit back and we watch the unfolding of redemption. And we see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And the Father says, I need to redeem mankind, but someone's got to go. And Jesus says, send me. I will go. And he says, you will? Absolutely. I will go. Well, you, I need a body. A body have I prepared for you because burnt offerings, thou wouldest not. But a body have you prepared for me. And lo, he said, when he, it's written in the volume of the book, that when he comes to the world, he said, burnt offerings and sacrifices thou wouldest not, but a body you prepared for me. And all of a sudden, it's... The camera shifts over to Mary saying, be it unto me according to thy word. And you've got this beautiful hypostatic union take place between deity and humanity upon the earth. Boom, this explosion of deity and humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. And then we begin to watch as, oh my goodness, he waxes strong and he develops and he grows. He gets to the point of being 30 years old. He gets baptized in water and all of a sudden the voice comes out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well. Please hear ye him. He's tempted by the devil in the wilderness and he overcomes by saying it's written, written, written. And then he comes in the power of the spirit and he goes in all of Galilee, all around the villages and cities around about and preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and disease, casting out devils, curing the sick, raising the dead, multiplying fish, multiplying loaves. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Speaking to the wind the waves and the sea can you see all of a sudden we begin to watch and as he betrayed you know by, by Judas and then he goes to a cross where he suffers and he dies and then people want to know what happened then the redemption end there at the cross or did he descend into the bowels of the earth where he suffered the wrath of God wouldn't you love it to be sitting in that cushiony seat and watching and seeing what really happened did that really happen he's going to put on a show He's going to show us. He's going to demonstrate to us. I pray all that took place in this wonderful work of Jesus Christ to redeem us from our fallen condition and reconcile us to the Father. Wouldn't that be a wonderful movie? I hope they tape it. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to see? We can finally say, like people that are there right now, hey Noah, how long, how long did it take really for you to build the ark? And by the way, how'd you do all that? Who helped you? Were angels, did they come down and descend from on high and help you with a lot of that, you know, work that had to take place? Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine talking dialogue with all these individuals on the other side in glory? You met in a burning fire furnace and you came out unscathed because Jesus was in there with you. On the word that says when you pass through the fire, you'll not be burned because I'm going to be with you. Amen. So, there's a lot. He's going to put on a show for us. And it continues throughout the ages. Look at number six. Goodness is love's character. Goodness is love's character. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. 
You know why goodness is so important? Look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. This is why it's so important. Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing, not knowing what? That the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. What leads to repentance? The goodness of God. We serve a good, good God. Does that mean we water down the message of heaven and hell? Absolutely not. God is so good, he made a way for you to escape hell and make heaven your home throughout eternity. And so we don't water down the scriptures, but we do emphasize the fact that God is a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variables, neither shadow of turning. There's not even a shadow of turning. He is a good, good God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from him. If it's good, it's of God. If it's evil, it's of the devil. And that's the dividing line. And so we should walk around with the goodness of God. But look, look at this verse in Romans 12. What also goodness helps us to do. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. What? Huh? Your enemy comes over. Would you like a pizza? Feed him? Come on. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing thou hast, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. I know this is cross grain. This is not the way we think. No wonder the mind's got to get renewed when people do evil to us. I'll tell you what. <laughs> uh, actually, I was with Dante not too long ago on River Road picking up uh, his friend, Carl. And I was just sitting in a car just waiting for Carl to come out of the house. And if you've ever been down River Road over there in Beaver, it's not real, real wide, but I'm next to the curb in my car. I'm just sitting there waiting, minding my own business. And this lady comes in her van this way, you know, and she's going by. And I'm just watching her go by. And she's, all of a sudden, she stops at my window. She rolls down her window, tells me to roll down my window. I roll down my window. And she says, I almost had to rub my tires on the curb to get by you. You need to move your car over. I looked at the curb, it was only that high. What an opportunity to demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. It took all that effort for her to roll down the window to chew me out. I just said, thank you. I will. Okay. Sometimes you wonder how people are wired. You know, couldn't she just go by and just mind her own business like I was minding my own business right there? Know how to start something. Do you see what I'm talking about? Goodness. Overcome evil with what? Sometimes, you know, rather than just this being symbolic, like you're pouring heaping coals of fire on their head, you'd probably like to pour some heaping coals of fire. Never, I didn't say that. In love. In love. Oh, let's move on to number seven. Faithfulness is love's loyalty. Look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20. Faithfulness. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful 
but a faithful man who can find. Oh, what a definition. This is loyalty. Someone who will be loyal to you all the days of your life. That's not easy to find. Someone you can depend on. Someone that you, will be there for you. Loyal to the very end. Well, God's looking for people like that. And he made this deposit. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. And you can see this throughout scripture. But look at. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. Faithful. Being faithful in our commitment to, to God unto death. We're going to be tempted, challenged along the way. But God wants us to be faithful. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. Notice good and faithful. It's the goodness of God and the faithfulness. Okay. Look at Luke 16 because here we have a revelation of some things that God is looking for with regard to faithfulness, our being faithful. He that is faithful in that which is least or small is faithful also in much or plenty. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trusted true riches? And if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So what's he talking about here? You're faithful in small things. You're faithful with your financial resources. And you're faithful with things that belong to another man. You know what that means? Okay, let's look at the small things. Just a small thing that we can do for the Lord. Some people say, I'm not going to get water, water baptized, baptized in water because I don't like being in front of people. It's a small thing that he said for you since he saved you by his grace and put a new heart in you. And he died the death that he died for you. His visage was so marred more than any man. He didn't even appear to be human like and went to a cross and suffered the shame of that cross and died a horrific death on that cross for you in front of the world, naked, out there, exposed. But I don't want to stand in front of people and get baptized in water. That's a small thing compared to what Jesus did for you and me. Faithful with your resources, financial resources. Why is that? Because where your treasure is, your heart is also. If he has your finances, he has your heart. Give of your tithe. Give of your offering. Give love gifts and give to the poor. Four areas of giving that we can be engaged in and involved in. And he says you're being faithful to do so. But then something else that's very important. You're faithful in that which is another man's. In other words, you help someone else succeed. You help someone else. Could be that you're on the job and you're working for someone. You're helping that company succeed by doing the right thing, by working as hard as you possibly can. You're helping a brother in the Lord succeed in different ways. You're helping a ministry succeed by contributing whatever it is that your gift is to the ministry, whether it's praise and worship team, whether it's ushering, whether it's a Sunday school teaching, whatever it might be. You're making a con contribution to help someone else succeed. And you do that from the heart willingly. God says, you're faithful. I'm looking for people like that. Look at number eight. We're almost there. Meekness is love's humility. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, beautiful section of Scripture. All Scripture is wonderful, isn't it? 
Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy, and that's no yoke. And my burden is light. He's light and easy, Jesus. Not heavy and hard. Rock. Light and easy. Come to me, I'm meek and lowly of heart. What did Jesus teach his disciples? He washed their feet. He said, if I wash your feet, then what should you do? I'm your master, and I'm doing this. That was unheard of to do what he did. But you see, he, as far as he was concerned, he's the creator of all the universe, and he stoops to wash the feet of his followers. And says, I set this example for you. It's enough that you be like me. You're not going to be above me. It's enough that you be like me. Look into my eyes, he is saying. Listen to my words. Follow my example and be meek and lowly in heart. Esteem others more highly than yourself. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's something terrible that you don't want to get engaged in. So he's telling us, be meek. It's love's humility. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Here's another important section of scripture. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, judge them as much as you possibly can. Rake them over the coals as far as you Holler at them as much as you possibly can. Stand there in front of them and just say, I'd never do anything like that. Am I not reading that right? Restore such a one in the spirit of what? Meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. For if any man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. How many times have you ever said, I would never do that, and you did it the next day? <laughs> Haven't we all done that? I wouldn't do that, and you went and did it the next day. Mm -hmm. Always consider yourself. But notice, if you see someone at fault, go to that person in a spirit of what? Meekness. Meekness is love's humility. Look at 1 Peter 3, first four verses. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or the lifestyle of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be, that outward adorning of plating at the hair, and of wearing gold, or of putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even an in ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Now, wait a minute. He said that to a woman. I'm getting in trouble. Did he say that? Let it be a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So next time, I better stop, huh? You feel like shouting and screaming and hollering. Read that verse over and over and, and listen to what God is saying. Oh, wife, be of a meek and quiet spirit. It's of great price in the sight of the Lord. Oh, boy, I better move on. Look at number nine. Temperance is love's victory. First Corinthians chapter nine. Temperance is love's victory. Know you not that, which, that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. 
And every man, every man that strives for the mastery is what? Temperate in all things. We're talking temperance here. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So if I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul understood the need to be temperate in all things. And notice they're running to win a corruptible crown or prize. We are temperate to win an incorruptible prize that will never be taken away from us. So it's important to understand this is love's victory. Look at the 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, 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 there it is, temperance, and, do, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and godliness uh, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten he was purged from his own sins. So a person that is temperate has this foundational block in his life and he recognizes the fact that he has a need to be temperate in all things and to control himself just like anyone who's an Olympian or any kind of a you know athletic event. Can you imagine being in NFL and not, not practicing after the season is over until the next game starts? Can you imagine that? You can't go very long without getting training for any kind of athletic event. You get away from it, you lose it. It's easy to lose. It's hard to gain. It's easy to lose. Is it not? It sure is. So it's important for us to realize that. Look at Galatians chapter 5. It's a foundational building block and it's necessary for us to overcome the works of the flesh. What he's saying is you're going to master your flesh. Crucify it and master it. And these are the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. These are, no, notice it doesn't say these are the works of Satan. It doesn't say that. These are the works of the flesh. They're manifest. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immolations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, such the like. Uh, which I tell you before, as I told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's important to be temperate in all things and keep things under control. To walk out, praise God, the love that's in our hearts in all these different ways and manifestations so that we can rise up above the forces of the flesh. So in conclusion, God imparted his grace, the grace of his character, uh, the fruit of his spirit, and it's only inside of us, but it's up to us to yield to it, to walk in the light of it, allow it to dominate our lives. And if we'll do so, praise God, we're going to reap what we sow. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap life everlasting. But this is a major work of the Spirit in the life of every child of God. Now, I really would love it, and so would you, if we had some kind of wand that we can wave, and all of a sudden, every one of these manifestations of God's grace are instantly operating in our lives. Wouldn't that be great? Anybody want that? You can't come up here, I'll lay hands on you, and all of a sudden, boom, you'll never walk out of love ever again. Or peace or joy. It doesn't work that way. It's a disciplined life. A disciple is a disciplined student of the Word of God. And we're, we're renewing our minds, and we're controlling our minds to side with the Word of God. Amen? Let's all stand together before the Lord.